What's up, everybody? This is Bobby Moynihan. I play Orca on Star Wars Resistance, and you're listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. Alright, hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is my review of Star Wars The Mandalorian, Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Uh, For those of you who have been following the show, I uh, took a break from reviewing The Mandalorian, so I now am finishing up uh, with Episodes 5, 6, 7, and 8, and also for the benefit of the uh, Disney Plus viewers in other parts of the, the world that just now got it and are you know, getting getting to see these episodes for the first time. Since that's the case, I won't... It's obviously a full spoiler review of the episode, but I will not spoil ahead. Uh, there's nothing... I won't refer to episodes 6, 7, and 8 in this review. So if you have just seen episode 5 or chapter 5, that's all I'm going to talk about. Um, but for people, uh, who have seen the entire series, um, you know, it'd be a chance to go back and, uh, reflect on what we saw since we know what is yet to come. Let's get right into it. Uh, this is the episode that was written and directed by Dave Filoni. Um, and well, like I say, I'm not, not to spoil anything going forward, but I will say, uh, since this and the next episode were written by people other than um, John Favreau, my guess is that he presented a six-episode treatment to Lucasfilm. And then when they decided to go forward, I would think that five and six were added in later to the plan because they do kind of stand alone on their own. Um, but you know, on multiple viewings, I, I'm really digging this episode uh, more so than when I first saw it. And I'll get into that. But it starts out with our first space battle of the series. Um, the Razor Crest is being uh, chased by another bounty hunter uh, who's after the child. Um, you know, the call has gone out uh, to, to bring him in after everything that happened since episode three. And uh, you know, it's really cool to get to get to see some space action on the show at this point. And I, I do like, you know, they, they have a callback where uh, the pilot is, I guess, the bring you in hot or bring you in cold, uh, warmer cold uh, line. And then uh, Mando pulls off some maneuvers to get a to get behind him, and then says, "That's my line." Before he. He blasts him, so I thought that was that was neat. Uh, but the ship is damaged. He has to sit down and do some repairs. So that takes us to a very familiar uh, location that we are on Tatooine for this episode. And it, it's 
Okay, I'll go ahead and say it. The first time I saw this episode, I thought, wow, they really beat you over the head with callbacks and familiar places and characters and just everything. Um, but as I've watched it more, more times, especially when I was taking notes for this, it, it works. It helps to establish where we are as far as the state of the galaxy all these years after the, the end of the Empire. So, you know, and he's in the Outer Rim doing these jobs, so it makes sense that he would be in the vicinity of Tatooine. It's not, you know, all the way on the other side of the galaxy, and he just happens to be there. It makes sense. And, yeah, it's funny because of some of the sets that were used and the, the settings previously, you know, there was a lot of speculation that we were going to get Tatooine at some point, you know, because as it turns out, we had off-world Jawas and, you know, things like that, Sandcrawler. But, no, we actually do get to go to um, Tatooine on the series, so that's that's cool. And you know, our first clue is when we get uh, Moss Eisley over the uh, over his radio uh, that he's got clearance to land, and you know we get the very familiar shots. You know, it's you know approaching the planet. You see, it's Tatooine's two moons. Um, the same approach to Moss Eisley from A New Hope. You know, lots of callbacks there, obviously, but it helps to establish the f- the familiar before jumping into the updated. You know, he lands the Razor Crest in a docking bay. It's not docking bay 94. It's different. You know, it's more of a, like a garage. Um, you know, and uh, the homages go even further back. We get pit droids, which I, I love pit droids. I, th- I think it's a neat design. I love that there was a pit droid on Resistance uh, in Flicks and Orca's uh, helper Glenn. Uh, yeah, they made cool toys out of them. Um, so yeah, need, need to see the, the pit droids again. And it helps to establish again that Mando doesn't trust droids. You know, he doesn't want them working on the ship. Uh, so that's when we get um, Amy Sedaris's character. Uh, she shows up. And as... You know, it kind of slipped my mind because I'm not a huge Aliens fan, even though I love the movies. Um, you know, she's very much an homage to, to Ellen Ripley, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character. Um, and it fits with John Favreau's kind of love letter to the 80s. Because um, uh, I can't remember who, but it's been mentioned. You know, if you consider... You know, Return of the Jedi was 1983. If you push it forward, because this is about five years after Return of the Jedi, you know, we're like late 80s, we're like, like 1988, as far as, you know, fashion and who was popular at the time. So, yeah, having Amy basically do a Star Wars version of Ellen Ripley was, was neat. And, and she's a fabulous comedian, so... Um, her dialogue and her demeanor uh, worked out well. So she's going to work on the ship. 
you know, some, some of the dialogue is a callback, like about the carbon scoring and everything like that. Amanda's going to get her money um, while she works on it. And this is where we get the what was in the original trailer, I believe, and even that footage back at Celebration last year where, you know, you've got the Stormtrooper helmets on spikes, kind of a warning, you know, stay away. Um, and it was even neat. You know, it's like the dark red fabric hanging down from each of them. It almost looked like entrails or, you know, something kind of gory to add to the visual of it. But, you know, and this is where I started to appreciate the episode more. It, it reflects, you know, it's, it's, if this episode is five years after Jedi, that means it's nine years after A New Hope, like the last time we really saw Mos Eisley. So and it shows you how all this changed with the fall of the Empire and, you know, the coming comings and goings of new control. The huts are gone, too. Think about it. Jabba's, Jabba's dead. So, you know, who's really running Tatooine, so to say. But definitely definitely not the Empire. Uh, so this is a good visual representation of that. It's like, no, stormtroopers, you know, that ilk are not welcome here anymore. Um, yeah, it cuts back real quick, you know, because um, the child, um, tiny, um, copyright Lucy Gillaran at uh, Resistance Broadcast. Uh, you know, tiny. This is not Yoda. Until he until he gets a name, I like that. Yeah, um, yeah he he wakes up. Um, you know, he took a nap after the little space battle. So, uh, but I love they're playing Sabacc. So you know, that's now that thanks to Solo, that's more ingrained into the the official, you know live action cannon. And if you notice, I uh, love that the pit droids are cheating. They're like passing cards to each other. Just wonderful animation right there. I thought, um, so they get introduced to tiny, but going back to, um, the Mandalorian, you know, he now goes to the cantina. It's the same place that we saw nine years ago. Um, but quite different. And okay, yeah, your first thought is, oh, they're back in the cantina. But no, it shows everything that's changed because there's droids. They're they're welcome. They're allowed. And then you got a droid behind the bar. Whatever happened to um, were uh, were however his name's pronounced? You know, what became of him? Did he sell it? You know, it was uh, well. I think based on from a certain point of view, he wasn't the owner. He was just the bartender. Cannot remember who owned the bar. Anyway, uh, you've got, uh, I love that they used the same droid as EV 99 from Java's palace, whether or not that's actually him, uh, because he would be out of work after Java died. Um, it sounded the same. I always, I always thought it was a really cool droid design and, uh, sound, uh, in return of the Jedi. Uh, but to have him at the bar and you know get an R5 unit might be our you know R5 D4 who knows. Um, but yeah, it just shows how things are different you know, since you got the droids. 
then you've got uh, Toro Calican, a uh, new bounty hunter in the same booth where Han killed Greedo. I mean, it's not that huge of a establishment, so it's not outside the realm that he'd be in the same seat. Um, so Toro, played by Jake um, Cannaval. I think I wrote that right. <laughs> um, you know, he's got a bounty, um, bounty puck out for Fennec Shand, played by Ming-Na Wen. We'll get to her, but I was so glad she got to do Star Wars, even if it was seemingly this one episode, but we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, it's, it's neat. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned in a previous review episode, I, I didn't watch a lot of Westerns, so I don't recognize all the where the tropes came from but i'm sure there's a western out there where um, we've got you know the young first time gunslinger out there needing help from the veteran um, which is where it goes with toro and the mando um, for the rest of this episode um Anyway, Mando needs money to pay for the repairs to the ship, so he'll he's going to help Toro out, um, try to bring in bring in Fennec Shand. So he's got to go, you know, check on things back at the garage. And yeah, that's this one little neat thing about this episode. Uh, goes back to the last one too. He's learning how to be a parent. He's very very much a uh, you know kind of like Big Daddy, where he's kind of thrust into it and he has to learn on the fly. Um, but Amy Sedaris' character is, you know, teaches him a little bit. So that's neat that he, you know, he gets, um, you know, lessons here and there. Um, so uh, Toro gets the speeder bikes. And, you know, it's good foreshadowing or, you know, a little clue here by Dave Filoni that, you know, Toro sees Tiny and, you know, takes note of him. But, you know, it's like, oh, he's, he's you know, a little kid with him. That's weird. Which you think, oh, that's it. But then comes into play later. So. Um, you know, they, they're off past the Dune Sea. You know, it's a slightly different part of Tatooine. I mean, we've seen, you know, like where Ben's hut was you know, beyond the Dune Sea, but it's different parts. So, you know, for a desert planet, Tatooine's pretty diverse on its landscape, which is neat. Always has been, especially given where they went in the prequels. Uh, but they run into Tusken Raiders. We get call back to you know checking them out from a distance and see them in their bantha but then it turns out there's a few there's a couple right there but it yeah um, you know we get a different perspective of the Tuscan Raiders at this point because Mando is able to talk to them uh, using sign language or well, their visual way of communicating, which I appreciate. Um, in a past life, I 
worked with uh, the deaf community. Never learned to sign language. Not, I don't know. I don't know ASL, but um, helped to do relay calls. Which, long story short, is how it's probably easier now with texting and everything. But this is before then. Um, we would process telephone calls for deaf people to people who could, you know, uh, hear and speak uh, because you have to use intermediary technology. So, very, you know, I've, I've had interactions with the deaf community. So to see that way of communicating here, I thought was really neat. Plus the fact they said that the actor who was, who was the Tuscan Raider, um, uh, uh, was deaf, so you know he, he was actually communicating. Uh, so that was really cool. <laughs> I watched uh, this episode with my son, little Han, and th this is where he learned about bartering and um, you know trading in goods for favors. Like, why did he throw him his you know his new binoculars? And it's like, well, he you know it's. Uh, for passage through the area, it's payment, you know, even though it's not money. So, yeah, he thought that was neat. And Lil Han was, uh, he was glad to see uh, Tatooine back in the forefront for the episode. Uh, skipping ahead a little bit, it's when Fennec Chan mentions that she's got a rendezvous at Mos Espa, it made me, th uh, we made me think of how little Han... Uh, if any of you have played Disney Infinity, which I've mentioned on other episodes, uh, it's the game for what we've got on PlayStation 4. And on one of the Star Wars playsets, well, you can you can play like original trilogy and prequel trilogy, and Tatooine's on both of those, but on original you go to Mos Eisley, and on um, prequel you go to Mos Espa. And so that, that way the games are different. Um, so, you know, he, he was like, I wish, I wish they were all together so he could just go between the two towns. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. So it was, it was neat that, you know, the, uh, the action takes place at Mosset Isley here, but then there's also mention of Mos Espa. So yeah, he, he liked all that. He, he enjoyed this episode. Um, so they get further into the Dune Sea. They see the Dewback with the other bounty hunter who had already failed to bring her in. And then we, and we, we get the pretty cool standoff um, because she's got a sniper rifle is able to fire bolts at them. So they have to wait, you know, take their time. It's quite the interesting standoff. They have to wait for the suns to go down. Yeah, I, had, I wrote down, I, had to, I loved the line when Mando was getting shot in the Beskar and he was okay. And then Toro was like, I'm not wearing Beskar. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the dry wit of Mando, um, like in the first episode, when he realizes they have the heavy cannon, he's like, okay. Yeah. It makes him more grounded. I think when he has quips like that, um, so they waited out, and then they have the really cool night assault as they try to advance on Fennec Shand. And he has the flares, that way it blinds her um, infrared scope. And um, 
know, she's not able to fire. Although she does take out a speeder bike, she's good. And, you know, even though it was kind of dark and a little hard to see it, um, I, you know, I enjoyed the fight, fight scene, her and Toro. And then with Mando involved. Um, yeah, any chance to see Ming-Nan in action? I mean, she's been in so many good things, but, um, of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, she knows how to kick some butt. Um, well, even though, skipping ahead, you know, she does presumably perish in this episode. I hope we get to see more of her. You know, she she loves Star Wars. She's a great Disney ambassador at this point. She just, yeah, she needs to be in more. Uh, hopefully she will be. But, you know, after this, when Mando goes to get the do-back, you know, it's got the great scene where she's manipulating Toro. And, you know, trying to get him to come around and letting him see what he's really up against. And I like how they kind of backdoored revealing um, the bounty hunter enclave planet as uh, named Navarro. Because, yeah, I might have mentioned on that episode review in, well, one and three. You know, that planet's never named. We got so spoiled with um, Rogue One, where they started naming the planets on screen. I wish they would do that all the time. Um, but yeah, they had not mentioned the name. So a little bit earlier in the episode when uh, they're talking about Navarro, you don't really think about it. And then based on her dialogue here, you realize, oh, Navarro is the, the planet they were at. And so, um, yeah, Toro decides he's going to make more money off of Mando, so he um, he kills Finnick, presumably. Uh, we'll have to see. And then, uh, so he gets the speeder bike, heads back. And then, uh, just watching Man the Mandalorian on a do-back... I mean, it's not the exact same creature, but it's such a callback to the holiday special. And, uh, uh, you know, we had the Stormtroopers all those years ago on them. Obi-Wan rode one in uh, Rebels. Just a great creature, great design. Um, yeah. But, you know, it kind of progresses to the end here. Um... Toro has the child. You know, he has a little, little bit of a standoff with Amando. But he's got another trick up his sleeve. He had one more flare. And he's able to finish him off. Um, you know, takes his money, so that way he didn't come away totally empty-handed. And, um, yeah, got to mention, <laughs> um, yeah, where... I forgot to write down the character's name, but you know, Amy Sedaris's character has the pit droids drag off the body and uh, tells them just dump them in Beggar's Canyon, which makes you wonder how many people are out there. But um, it did have me thinking it'd be it'd be really funny if one of the pit droids is in fact Glenn from Resistance, and he got tired of doing this sort of dirty work. 
that his, you know, comes with the job. He's like, yeah, I'm fine fixing ships and everything, but this is BS. I'm not dragging bodies anymore, so I'm out of here. And then he meets up with Flix and Orca, and, you know, they wind up on the Colossus 25 years later. <laughs> that That's that's my headcanon until proven otherwise. Um, so Mando, you know, he's able to pay for his repairs, probably made a little bit extra money, learned about some parenting. So, you know, Tatooine was a good stop for him. And, um, so he's heading off, uh, to another adventure next week. Um, and then we get that little bit of a, not, not a post credit scene, but an epilogue where Phoenix still on the ground, presumably dead. And then the mysterious figure walks up to her and there's so much speculation online. Is it, uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character who's yet to come? Is it, um, you know, another bounty hunter? Is it her, the, whoever she was supposed to meet up with at Mos Espa? Um, we don't know. Yeah. They leave it very, um, very vague. Yeah. There is speculation that it's Boba Fett. And for those of you who aren't familiar with his fate, uh, okay. Obviously he, you know, he went into the Sarlacc pit in return of the Jedi. So you're thinking, okay, well, if it's five years later, how can it be with it? He's dead and being digested. Well, um, in the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig and his interludes, which are, you know, like, oh, on this planet, uh, in between chapters of the main story, <clears throat> you know, there's mention that the Mandalorian armor that belonged to Boba Fett made its way to other people and it's being worn by this sheriff, so to say of a, of a town on Tatooine. So it may not be Boba, i.e. Jango's clone, uh, unless he did survive. We, we still don't know. Um, or it could just be this sheriff who took the armor. Um, People have made the connection because, and I, I really can't even detect it when I was watching, watching again the other night. But they said because Boba always had, um, sounded like he had spurs jingling when he walked. I'm not sure about that. Uh, point is, we've got this mysterious person and um, a mystery with what truly happens to Finnick. Like I say, hopefully back because Ming Ming Na is awesome. Uh, but that is our return to Tatooine. Again, you know, like I say, the first time, I was like, man, just so much. Like, oh, here's this, and here's this, and here's this that we've already seen. But no, it it works. You you understand, like, okay, this is definitely a few years after the Empire, and things have changed. And yeah, so that, that part of it was neat. I, I appreciate that uh, after having watched it more. And plus, you know, Dave Filoni, I mean, and when I talked to Bobby Moynihan on an interview recently, you know, he, he was gushing about Dave and his visions and the way he handles Star Wars. But he is such a master of animation and that medium. 
mean, this is brand new to him. The, when he directed the first episode as written by John Favreau, that was his first live action Star Wars. And here he is, he was had the opportunity to write and direct it. He got his feet wet. He's only going to get better at it. Um, and all I will say is that having seen the whole season, this episode aged pretty well as far as, you know, just setting up Mando's character development. Um, but that is, that is it for this episode. I will be back next week for chapter six, uh, as it releases, um, in certain countries. Uh, but thank you for listening to this one. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Dakar, R-E-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R. Uh, you can listen to uh, previous episodes, all the episode reviews, uh, the interviews I've done. Uh, all the Radio Dakar episodes are through Anchor.fm or the Anchor app. Uh, you can also do Apple uh, Podcast, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Overcast, Breaker, SoundCloud. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can become a patron and help support the upkeep at patreon.com slash radio Dakar. But I will see you for the next review. And until then, may the force be with you.